The voice of Ira Glass and the tones of sweet honey, a balance of poignant questions and witty banter. Chris was born a podcaster bee, darn it. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and family love. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. Today on the show, we are discussing The Willoughbys in three acts. Act one, The Willoughbys. Act two, more about The Willoughbys. Act three, our final words about The Willoughbys. Thank you for joining us today. It's like Ivor Glass narrating a Wes Anderson movie right there. <laughs> so... The Willoughbys, a new animated film from 2020 on the Netflix. There aren't that many new movies this year so far, so we'll take what we can get. Also, what we can get is pretty good. Yeah, it's been it's interesting for animation in this moment because you're going either to streaming or you're going to waiting. <laughs> To DTV or to delay? Uh, animation so interesting right now. I mean, in terms of like marketing and release, not necessarily in terms of creation, because I assume people are still creating animation too, but just the, the discourse being how Trolls has destroyed cinema as we know it. <laughs> it's not a topic I thought we'd have in 2020. Yet somehow I, I saw that Trolls has made more money than it probably would have in theaters. A lot more, like five times as much (laughs) for many reasons. But I think not the least of which is that I think it goes to show that and I like the first Trolls movie and I haven't seen the second one yet. So I have no judgment on its quality, but I assume it's good. It's got Rachel Bloom in it. That can't be bad. Um, But I think (laughs) Trolls making so much money is a test it more to not that people will see more movies if they can see them at home, but that parents will pay for more movies they can walk away from for their kids at home than take their kids to a movie theater. Mm, that is an interesting point. Yes, I want my child to experience this, but I also want to live my life Yeah, for two and a half hours. Well, children's movie, 90 minutes to myself. I need 90 minutes to myself. And there are lots of parents who, and none of you who are listening to this podcast are any of them because you listen to this podcast, you care about animation. But I think there are lots of parents who just (laughs) see like something animated, like, ah, yes, I want that for my kid, but I don't care because it's not sophisticated or for adults because it's animated. I don't want to watch it. For children. Yeah. It's like they, they know they want it in their life, but not their life. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I see what you did there. So this very interesting thing, which went straight to Netflix, and that was the plan for it to be on Netflix. So that's Fortuitously. Fortuitous enough to be released during this, I don't even, uh, unadjectivable time. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that, but it's true. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what ab- adjective to use. I can barely say the word adjective anymore. 
<sighs> but the Willoughby's 2020 just released. You can watch it on on Netflix. And where where did this film come from, Mackenzie? Uh, I know where it came from on paper, like literally on paper. Uh, there is a Lois Lowry uh, book by the same name, The Willoughby's, that this was adapted from. Um, this is from a studio we haven't talked about before, Braun, uh, which they've done lots of movies, but they have this Braun animation division um, that's done some other stuff in the past. Uh, but this is their biggest, most ambitious venture so far. And I think that that gambit has paid off well for them. And that's literally where it came from on paper. I hope that's the answer you're looking for, Chris, because I don't have more details on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> Good. I just wanted to know where it came from. So, yeah, based on a book, uh, a children's book with an edge, I would say, from I haven't read the book yet. I am so intrigued to read the book based on everything that I heard about it. There's this fun uh, review of it from 2008 from Lemony Snicket. So it's like, oh, let's see what Lemony thinks of this. And so I'm, I'm really excited to read the book when libraries reopen uh, <laughs> or book. Maybe I'll just buy it. Maybe I'll just buy it and have it sent from my local bookstore. Hey, do you have the Willoughby's? Now a major motion picture on Netflix. I'm Googling it now, looking at it, and I didn't realize how divergent the art direction for the movie was from the cover art of the book. It's not a criticism. It's just like, oh, it's way different, way more original than I thought it was. I I believe Lois Lowry did the did the actual illustrations on the original book. I could see that in a good way. It's, it's very clearly like a labor of love. It feels sort of, when you look at the, the original cover, it, it looks a little bit Adam's Family-esque in some way, like New Yorker cartoon, Adam's Family, like ink, ink line, very, very sparse. Yeah, like it's more of an austere family. It's mm -hmm. less of a, a, a silly story about parents who don't love children and more of like a serious, factual, like, these parents have no love for these children. And that's just the way it is in life. <laughs> I haven't read it, so I don't know if that's a tone or not. Um, <laughs> I, I read the first part of it, and it does read a little bit more serious in tone and starker. Uh, when we get the Willoughby's on Netflix, and we'll stay in non-spoiler zone for now. So if you are still interested in seeing the film, we'll talk about things that we see before we get into spoilers. So that way you can stop listening, go watch the movie and then come back if you're still interested in hearing more as we talk about spoilers. But I think the tone, and I, I read an article, I think it was through Cartoon Brew. We may have to have a link in our show notes from the creators who talked about that they really wanted to undercut the dark edge, the darker themes of the book with this. Um, my questions are why, um, if, you know, why grab a book that has these really dark themes 
just to undercut them and remove them? Is it because of marketing? Is it because of a directive from a producer who gave the money and say, I want this, but make it make it rainbow? You know, like what where does that theme come? I'm always interested in adapting because that's one of my great loves is doing adaptations of things and finding your own way into something. But whenever you make a choice of why this story, why this story now, and what are you keeping from the original and what are you leaving behind? And I have a hard time jettisoning jettisoning theme from a book or tone sometimes from a book to create something new. I'm totally fine. I'm not as much of an expert adaptation as you are because, you know, that's your thing. Um, <laughs> I I don't see a problem jettisoning tone if you hmm. can. Because the other question that I'd add to your list of adaptation questions, not just like what can I jettison and like why the story now, but like what new thing can I add to this? Hmm. What new light can I shed on this theme? And if the theme of the movie and the book are the same, I think that the changing the tone is an interesting take on that. It's like, why stage yet another production of Shakespeare 400 years later? Because mm-hmm. everyone thinks they can add something new to it. Right. A new lens, a new reason to show it at this time. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty new book as, you know, as things go. It's only 2008. So, yeah, it's it's interesting riff on children in novels. <laughs> <laughs> like, very, a lot of tropes about orphans and children and dark Dickensian children's stories and... Rolled doll and that was kind of that in at the time though. Yeah, it was in vogue. It's following the 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 Harry Potter wave of like new Victorian children's lit orphans and terrible adopted families and strange new things you have to get used to. I I love tropes being bent and deepened. Like I I do. I do enjoy that. There's so much you can do with tropes and not stereotypes. What are, what are my archetypes? Mm. Tropes and archetypes. You, so much there because the audience comes in with the expectation of, oh, this is a story about a family. Um, but the problem is the narrator starts off telling us what the story is not about right away which i think undercuts what what may be going on but before we get into that too far (laughs) could you give a little bit about what the willoughby's the film is is about yeah without getting to spoilers too deep without getting into spoilers so i'll stay away from what i would call the theme because i think the theme is spoilers Um, But we follow Tim Willoughby for the most part and some other Willoughby children. And Tim Willoughby has 
they live in this big house. It's been there forever. A city's kind of grown up around it. And Tim Willoughby looks at the portraits and the history of the house and all the great, wonderful things his ancestors have done uh, with their, their time on Earth and the great discoveries and explorations that they've done and how just kind of like Victorian Explorers Club the whole thing is. Mm-hmm. They all have done great new things that no one has done before. And then his parents just sit inside and love each other. And as the narrator tells us early on and in the trailer for the movie, uh, so I don't feel it's spoilers. Um, the parents have so much love for each other. There was none left over for the children. So beyond his parents being boring, like they don't like him either. So it's, <laughs> he's inspired by his parentage, but not his parents and trying to justify desperately wanting to be a Willoughby in the traditional sense while also hating being a Willoughby in the currently existing in the Willoughby timeline sense. That's a really good way of putting that. Yeah. It, there is that interesting story of what does it mean to be a Willoughby? And what does it mean for me as a Willoughby? I know our last episode was about Star Wars. It's like, what does it mean to be a Skywalker? And what does it mean to really be a Skywalker? You know? Like, Ray who? Ray Willoughby. <laughs> wah, 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 and she sprouts wah, a pink mustache and walks off into the sunset. <laughs> uh, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, it, it's interesting that our two back-to-back episodes are about these, like, what does it mean to be part of a family Mm. and what does that family stand for and what does that family stand for for you it's almost like talking about adaptation and things that you come from are you just following in the same footsteps or are you trying to make better on something that was there before or maybe tell the same story but cutting out some of the unsavory things that are much more clear cut not as a an okay thing to tell a story about today. Mm-hmm. Maybe in some ways for 2020, we need fewer darker themes and just a moment to feel happy and not, I don't think they cut out all the darkness. I think as they said, they undercut it. They, they make sure that it's not as, strong as before Um, because some of the things that happen are somewhat dark Um, quite dark if you really stop and think about them (laughs) but you come away from it with a feeling of hope and happiness you're like oh okay this is this is okay we're good we're good Mm -hmm. not to be all spoilery I mean it is a family film, so <laughs> it is that it it it's like trying to marry the themes and tones of its source material with just a studio doing its first ambitious major mainstream full length production kids animated movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting clash, and not clash, marriage of. Histories. 
mean, we we do start the film with Ricky Gervais as the narrator. So in some ways you kind of get expectations from a, as an audience member right away. Like, oh, Ricky Gervais is the animator. I know that it's going to, I don't mean this in a bad way, try to be funny. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit sarcastic, sardonic, and not quite serious in, in this sense. It's, it could possibly be mocking in a way, and it's going to reflect something back. And it's going to be doing it with a smile. Well, I think they do such a good job not just having Ricky Gervais be the narrator, but amplifying exactly everything you said by also making him a cat. Mm. Which is just such a smart decision for all those exact tones and reasons you expect out of a G- Ricky Gervais story when he's narrating. Like, oh, and he's a cat. So he's like not emotionally invested, but also kind of emotionally invested in warm and fluffy. <laughs> It's like Garfield for the 2020. <laughs> Be voiced by Ricky Gervais. Uh, I can't argue with that. There's no flaw in your logic. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's interesting about it, I went back to start reading. I think I, I did a Kindle preview to try to figure out the first chapter. I just wanted to see said the cat or uh, me being a cat. There was none of that. Oh, now I'm turning into Dr. Seuss. Um, <laughs> that that didn't exist. So this seems to be something that was added as a choice. Let's take the narrator. Let's make the narrator scene and let's make it a cute animal. Well, that works so well for kids movies because look at Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about that. They take not just the narrator, but the getting into the real like technical literary world, the dual conflicting narrator of Christmas Carol, the original story. And they retain that in Gonzo and Rizzo physically manifesting on screen and being the narrator and not just the narrator, but the conflicting dual narrator of the story. Um, I have a friend in college who wrote a paper about that and how Muppet Christmas Carol is the best film adaptation of Christmas Carol because it does just that. And I wholeheartedly agree with it. And the Willoughby's does the same thing by making the narrator a physical manifestation that the kids can follow on screen. And while not necessarily being a character in the plot is there the entire time, it is something that they can follow along with. Right. You get the the cat as the narrator is pulled into their story because it's somebody interesting. The cat spends a lot of time. It starts off a little creepy because you're like, yes, look in all these windows. I've looked at through a lot of windows. You're like, okay, who is this person <laughs> as the narrator? Rear window. You know, these huh? people, yeah, these people are boring. Those people are boring. These people are interesting. This is an interesting family. You're like, oh, that's me. I'm a cat. I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> a cat looking in people's windows, great. But also in the same way, it's kind of all of us, you know, looking in through all those windows of Netflix shows and trying to pick something and 
Like which family is most interesting? Oh, do I want to watch these people or these people? That guy has a tiger. These people have this, you know. Aren't we what all do I want to watch? Metaphorically deciding what to watch on Netflix in life. Right. Here's a cat who's like, I want to watch the Willoughbys on Netflix, which is what you're doing as well. Ba-bum. Ba-bum. That's all it was missing. Ba-bum. <laughs> so this cat <laughs> finds the family to follow, and we are introduced right away to Martin Short and Jane Krakowski as the two patriarch and ma- the ma- patriarch and matriarch of the family, who aren't the patriarch and the matriarch yet. They're just two people in love. But as often happens with two people in love, you get the fruits of that relationship. I love just how removed from reality the parents were the entire time. Like, ooh, where did that come from? <laughs> you sullied the, you know, the body of your mother is essentially what <laughs> he says. So I can't remember the exact line. But and then he casts out Tim, Timothy, out into the hallway, who's just enraptured with the portraits of the Willoughby's past. It's like, oh, that's that's who we are. That's who we shall be. And I think it sets up, the cat talks about the Willoughby heritage first. The the mustaches, the great mustaches of the Willoughbys. And then we see the, the father figure who has a teeny tiny, would it be best described as a John Waters mustache? Like yeah, it's very John Waters inspired design. So... No, it was very lingering, you know, very, very small. Um, I don't know if it's trimmed or if that's all he could grow. Uh, they get into that because at one point, uh, Mother Willoughby is like knitting with his mustache hair. Like she plucks it out. Mm, that's right. So it's not just that he isn't living up to the family name metaphysically with the mustache. It's that he chooses to like reject the mustache as much as possible. <laughs> And not live the Willoughby life. And they make their clothes out of it. And she's constantly knitting his hair. That's that's why I think the dark tones are still in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little little off. Put on your father mustache sweater. Thank you. And you will share one between the two of you. The two poor twins, Barnaby and Barnaby. (laughs) Uh, Twins are great. Because they're just even very, like, in the vein of The Shining, but in a kid's <laughs> comedy movie. Yeah, they're, they're like, if you had two Uncle Festers. <laughs> yes. Or if, or if Wednesday and Pugsley were actually twins. Mm-hmm. Identical twins. That's what you get. I definitely thought a number of times about the recent Adams Family animated movie and this felt like it was in that vein, but to me, overall, the Willoughby's, I mentioned this before the we started recording, but this feels like a Wes Anderson movie for kids, as opposed to a kid's movie made by Wes Anderson. And I would love 
I, I, I said, tell me more about it when we're recording because I want to understand this this difference. So this this talks to style mostly. Uh, style, but also style in how they tell the story. Um, okay. So it's where it's so visual and storytelling style. Wes yes. Anderson. So tell me when when you think Wes Anderson movie, what are the first things that come to mind? What do you expect a Wes Anderson movie to have? Okay, I will not say the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Wes Anderson movie. I will say like the third or fourth thing that comes to mind because okay. this is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> um, so I would say uh, kitschy and um, distanced and poppy, you know, pop art-ish, mm-hmm. um, old-timey, which is a technical term, <laughs> and um, I would say um, hipster-esque. These are okay. all like thematic terms to describe. All right, let me work with these five and how those apply to the Willoughby's. Yeah, but first, I want to say, like, a Wes Anderson movie that he has made for children, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Isle of Dogs, which we've talked about and liked. They still feel like they're movies for adults that are animated. Right, that okay. are safe for children to watch language-wise. Yes. And, and that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. They're still... Yeah, anyway. We're not talking about those today. But The Willoughby's feels it's definitely a kid's movie and for kids. Um but with some of these trappings of Wes Anderson. So number one, you said kitschy and like, just I'm going to put kitschy and old timey together because they're, I yeah. think they're related. Um, we have all kinds of like kitschy stuff around the house and the Willoughby's intro makes a, a fine case to say that how the Willoughby's live and the tradition of the house is different than everything else in this city. And it sets them apart as oddballs because their house is wedged between two, like, skyscraper office buildings and everyone dresses in like plain grays and browns and suits and they dress even the parents are oddballs still from that world and they dress Mm -hmm. in more colorful kitschy old-timey things very victorian inspired aesthetic even though it has more of a modern twist with colors and design and the sweaters and almost pink hair like fuchsia like really strong fuchsia yeah the bright fuchsia yeah. I'd put that in with like the poppiness of it. It is mm-hmm. very pop inspired and bright and colorful take on those things. And hipstery, I think, is there because as far <laughs> as like kid hipsters can go, I think that we have um, the nanny who comes over is very much like a. A contemporary millennial. So someone in the early 30s trying to live a life that is different than how they were raised. And they understand what they didn't like about their upbringing. And trying to provide a good upbringing for current children without replicating the problems that they had in their upbringing. And she dresses like the cute little scrunchies and the overalls. And it's like that hipster language there and like the, the young adult way. 
I don't know, am I still a young adult in my early 30s? What are millennials now? <laughs> I don't know. 30s, the new young adult. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, in just like the, the kid way uh, of hipster, I think that there's like this very younger hipster style of just like the weirdness, the hashtag so random of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like the bright colors and like the candy factory that's like both candy crush and rick and morty and feel at the same time obviously kids don't know what rick and morty is but feels very similar so for me it's the hipster part and the last key thing i think is the distance you mentioned the distanced and a wes anderson movie i think you've characters operate inside a world that is very dry and one note and makes sense to them but you as an audience know that the stakes and emotions are much higher than what's being done there mm-hmm. it's kind of like this wink wink nudge nudge of like look at this character reacting in the wow owen wilson way what they mean is like oh my god what's going on <laughs> uh and here i think we have the same distance of like these characters operate in their their weird world that's not as dry as a wes anderson movie but has its own tone and rules for existence in the Willoughby household and what a Willoughby should be. And they run into conflicts with other characters outside of their household. Um, But a lot of it is still like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge of like, look at these bright, cute kids colors. And it's like a nudge, nudge to the audience. Like, look at the dark tones of these twins having to share one sweater made of their father's mustache hair. (laughs) Uh, So I see a lot of the same like distance, that distance you talk about, manifested in a different but similar way Mm. so for me for the reasons that you just gave like the tropes of wes anderson movie like i see the same things for kids here that makes a lot of sense there we go i i'm not just a brain who says things i I have reasons behind them (laughs) so i think now is probably a good time to segue into a zone where we could talk character and story a little bit deeper and get into spoilers. Okay, this is your spoiler alert. We're going into spoiler territory. So we've talked a little bit about this interesting narrator and we've talked about these family and the starting situation where we have Tim who is not quite sure about what has happened to the sky the willoughby name and wants to make sure that he could uphold the legacy of what it truly means to be a willoughby um maybe it's about mustaches but maybe it's also about the way you behave and the way that you act because it's obvious that willoughby's have family dinners together and his parents don't invite the children into dinner um, they have their own food, and if they have food left over, then the children can have yesterday's food, as they put it. Um, but there's never anything left over for them. So we don't know how long it's been since the children have eaten. That's a little dark. <laughs> uh, but then it's funny because then you see Jane and the twins trying to steal the meatloaf so they could actually eat something. So that really dark 
sense of two parents neglecting their children so thoroughly and these poor kids going into this, I would say, very Looney Tunes-esque moment of stealing the food. It's oh, yeah. a very, It's a very, like, Speedy Gonzalez, you know, um, outsmarting the cat kind of feeling to it. You know, grabbing this while they're looking and the one character who's serving as the distraction, trying not to show emotion so they could get away, but also thoroughly horrified that they are not acting as the Willoughby's that they should be. Yeah, because he's... It's even zanier in good physical work because it's exactly what you said. He's not trying to help them, but he's not trying to get them in trouble. Mm-hmm. This is not the proper way for a Willoughby to act like, but oh my God, what are you doing? But also I'm not going to get you in trouble. Because I know what happens when you're in trouble. You get put in the coal bin. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty horrifying too. <laughs> I mean, I hated the coal room in my old house and that 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 is scary for an adult. You had a coal room? We had a coal room, yeah. Yeah, my wife thought it was really cute. She's like, oh, a coal room? Yeah, like when they used to heat the house with coal, you know, because our house was built in 1940. And I was like, this is where people get murdered. This is where people die. Like, I don't know what is here, but I foresee I will die here. Mm -hmm. And in short, you don't want to die in the coal room. Correct. You don't. But he is willing to take that in some ways to protect his siblings because he wants to be noble too which is such like a problematic like child abuse thing of like i'm gonna protect my siblings and take this punishment instead because it's better that i get punished than they get punished yeah see this movie is dark took out the dark it is dark so i guess it's it's not so much leaving out the dark themes but as i said it's undercutting them Candy-coated dark themes. Mm. Yeah, candy coating with a lovely dark theme, chewy center. Just a lump of coal center. Looks like M&M, but it's just coal. (laughs) Delicious and painful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So let's talk about who the other characters that we see. You talked about the nanny, who we get a nanny with an umbrella. And every time we get a trope, the kids call it out. It's like, oh, here's an orphan in a basket. We have to take care of this orphan in a basket. And we get the Candyman, which I always forget his name. Commander Melanoff. Thank you. Which it seems like it's just directly Willy Wonka inspired. Like, Yes. Here's a weird dude. He's a mascot. So he's a commander. He's like a military commander of candy captain crunch might be a better example than willy wonk he's very captain crunch knockoff well he's like if captain crunch did candy so it's like a willy wonka-esque setting but like a yeah very what's the word not formidable well it is a formidable structure but it is a industrial that's the word i meant Mm -hmm. industrial structure complete with like pipes and everything and chimneys stoke chim what is that stacks stacks smoke stacks (laughs) i'm so good at language 
Um, <laughs> smokestacks, you know, it's like it's an industrial complex. And then you open it up and it's just full of light and color and weirdness and zaniness. It's basically uh, a, a bright colors from... That's like the most pop part of this is is inside of that candy place. But it also serves a story purpose because it looks like like a children's cereal or candy commercial, which seems like the place that a kid would want to live, even though it's mm. not where they live, which is why they take the orphan there. Like, we should take this baby here and leave her here because this is the place that a kid should grow up in. But they also don't want that for themselves at the same time. Like they do, but they don't. Or at least Tim mm-hmm. doesn't. No, because t- he understands that he is a Willoughby, and that has to mean something. And if it doesn't mean something, then who is he? Mm-hmm. He defines himself by that family tree. And part of that being a good Willoughby is respecting your parents and respecting the family. So to have his change of heart, which is the decision to essentially kill his parents. <laughs> Not I mean, right away. <laughs> but that's the plot of this movie is children. I mean, Netflix, some red haired children conspire to kill their parents. <laughs> that could be the Netflix summary of it. You know, the one sentence tagline. They call it like make turning themselves into orphans. But that's. They set up their parents to be killed. They don't physically kill them which would be a different movie, but they set up environments where their parents' death is assured. It's almost like an ultimatum of like, if you would behave with reason and see that you should behave like parents and adults, you would clearly not fall into this trap and we'll get what we want anyway, because you'll be parents who are parents. But if you keep behaving irrationally and pursuing this, you will die because we've set it up that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does it mean to be a parent in 2020 as well? <laughs> they left the house. They shouldn't have left the house without a mask. <laughs> Stay at home. Stay at home. You will get killed. And there are so many deaths. Like other people die in every scene that we <laughs> see the parents in. The parents go to each location and somewhere multiple, multiple people die in those scenes. Do they? It's been a yeah. They get hit in the lava. There's one guy that falls into the acid. There's like other people die constantly. I guess I just thought it was like the same tour guide again and again, having bad things happen to him. But again, it's been a, a minute since I watched this movie, a minute being a week ago, but in lockdown, that's like three years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what else do we get? Um, let's let's go back to Melanoff. What do we what do we get there in terms of him? And we could also link Linda into it as two sides of the same story coin. We have Melanoff who doesn't want any children and doesn't want a family. He just wants to be in charge of his candy factory, basically. He has no idea how to be a good parent, even though he produces all the things that kids want. And on the other side of the coin, you have Linda, who desperately wants to be a good role model, an adult, 
but has all the trappings and tropes of someone that a kid doesn't want to have around. A nanny. Ugh. Uh, and so they both kind of grow to see, like, I, <laughs> I guess spoilers to my favorite thing. I think my favorite thing is, <laughs> no, 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 this is my favorite thing. I changed my mind already. Uh, but I do love, Runner's favorite thing is Linda, like, going and being like, you had a baby orphan and you abandoned it at a candy factory? And she goes and, like, yells at Commander Belanoff, like, you're not doing any of this right. These are not what kids need at all. <laughs> just like, really grounding that story of like this is what a kid should want this is not good for them at all this is the exact opposite of what the Willoughby's had but this is also bad this is not right I do also appreciate how bad of a parent the commander is it's not like he's trying to be a bad parent it's that he's it's the opposite in some ways his motives are good but he's still doing a bad job at mm-hmm. it it's like good motives, which you can forgive somebody with good motives whose messes up as opposed to somebody like the Willoughby parents who do bad things be, for you know because they really don't care about their children. So and also just a story of hurting children is that that would get you if this was an episode of Dexter, they would they would be dead. <laughs> like Dexter's that's his one rule is like you're if you're cruel to children, you deserve it. I mean, we are in spoiler territory, so uh they do die. Well, yeah, they do. And they I was gonna say, and they deserve it, but they deserve it. And so they're so devoted to each other. I mean do parents, is it a natural thing for parents to be like, you know what? I appreciated my life earlier. And I didn't know that kids would be a part of this. I think it's just a, I don't know if there's anything deeper in that. I think it's just a children's parable of like, what if your parents really didn't love you and had no capacity to love you? Hmm. It's like a childhood sci-fi story. <laughs> <laughs> I did appreciate the moment where they realize they've done the wrong thing, the kids, and they realize that they didn't want to endanger anybody else, that it was up to them. So they let, they take the candy-fueled <laughs> dirigible out to the unsurmountable mountain to find their parents who have frozen in a love's embrace and defrost them. Well, the the kids go through several steps to make them realize that because they've known nothing except having terrible parents that they hated. Mm -hmm. And then they go through not having any parents and it starts off great, but they don't have any money or food and can't do anything. And they get a nanny and they're like, the pendulum keeps swinging back and forth this movie until they find like a good parenting situation they enjoy where it's like a nanny and Tim just is anti nanny because the nanny doesn't want to do any of the stuff that the Willoughby name stands for. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well maybe we should just get our old parents back and just accept that. Cause we had some kind of food 
it was fine. Like they weren't the best, but maybe they've realized the wrong other ways and let's go save them. And that'll show them that we love them and they will love us and we will be a family. And the movie's just like, just kidding. They're still bad. And they ditch the kids and not in like a, a vengeful, like you should have done this to us. We're leaving you here to die now. Way it's, they still have no registration. The kids are anywhere on the radar and just continue mm-hmm. their same selfish plot. And then they die. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the kids anymore. Like it's, it's them and their selfishness because the other way was the kids plot killing them. Mm-hmm. Now it's just them. Yeah. They doomed themselves in typical Disney villain fashion. <laughs> oh, that shark was very satisfying. <laughs> Forgot about the shark. Uh, yeah, it's it was a nice twist. It was a nice moment. The buildup was perfect. It makes you think the movie's going to end a different way and be like, you should always love your family no matter how bad they are if you show love they'll grow to love you back and the movie's just like nope that's a bad story that's an abusive narrative we're not going to go with that these people won't ever change yeah. they're terrible people <laughs> if you've they're bad, never going to change if you have bad parents let them go but find good parents <laughs> but find yeah there are good parents out there and I also think that it also has to do with the family that you were born with, and this goes to an adoption story, you know, the family that you were born with may not be the family that you were meant to have. Um, and it's not always like a happily ever after in some ways, because Linda, who was an orphan, it seems like she never really got the parents that she wanted. It seemed like she went through the system, aged out, and then tried to do the right thing for other kids by becoming a nanny. And now she's like, you know what? I'm going to create the family that I've always wanted. So she's going to be the change. She's going to be the generational change. And that's the same thing that Tim has the opportunity to be. Mm-hmm. It's like you can shift back. You know, you don't, you're not the sum total of the good things or the bad things in your history. You can be the thing that makes the change to say, I, I want to live in a healthy family life and it's going to be because of me and through me. Yeah. I completely agree. I I do think the theme, the spoilery theme of this movie is found family. Mm. And I less so today that even like when I was growing up, not that I had any problems with this, but uh, like for, for the LGBTQ youth, like found family, at least it used to be much bigger thing of maybe your blood family doesn't accept you and you have to go through this stage in life where you find a new family and you develop the loving bonds you need and want as a human even if you're not getting that from your actual blood relations um so i don't think that this movie was made necessarily with that in mind but it's interesting and i think it resonates with reading stories of told by my generation older and like the lgbtq population Gen Z kids. There are a lot of rainbows. There are a lot of rainbows. Generally, kids younger than me, I think, have it (laughs) better. And again, I had no issues, so I had it fine too. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
But interesting, interesting story that I'm glad that just like many things gay people have done have been co-opted by the street population. Found families important. And I, I think it's also... <laughs> Took a minute. There you go. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I, I think that it's also interesting about you yourself may not be what your family expects, but you that doesn't mean you are not worthy of being who you are mm-hmm. in some because Tim thinks being a Willoughby is about the family, but also about the mustache. And he's the only one at the end who doesn't grow a mustache. <laughs> That was so great. I loved it. Jane has part of a mustache, and the Barnabys, both A and B, have large, full mustaches, and he's he's got nothing. But he is he the truest Will Willoughby? I don't know. Is there such a thing as a true Willoughby? That might be kind of the message too. Mm-hmm. Of everyone, such thing. Everyone, Tim respected tried to do something passionately that they wanted to do, and that wound up creating a legacy for them. But everything they did was different than everyone that came before them. They all did different, unique, interesting, groundbreaking, exploratory, scientific things. And he didn't see that, I think, at the beginning of the movie. I'm not sure if he does at the end either, but for us, I think that we can see that. Every generation was different. I think there's something to be said. This was... Uh, something that I was talking about as a, a play that I'm working on right now for children. And it's really on educational lines about here are these five aspirational attributes, you know, in terms of self-control and um, empathy and, uh, you know, these attributes that you need to have, these core attributes. And what the, the person helping me with, the artistic director, Uh, Anton was talking about was, you know, by the end, they may not be a master of one thing, but you see that they've made progress. You see that there's a step forward and it's Mm -hmm. not, there's no way that they're going to go from not understanding this to mastering it. But if you could see that now they have something in their tool belt to now go to the next thing, that's, that's what we're trying to get. It's like, oh, they made a step forward. Mm-hmm. And in very many ways, Tim has made that step forward. And he he's a kid. He has plenty of time to wonder about his place in the world and who he is going to be or he who he will be. Who he will forte be. <laughs> so it's it's just interesting to see the path. And I like that it's not a full answer, but now he's in a environment where he's cared for. His biological needs are all kept. He's fed. He's good. He's loved. And now what could grow out of that? If not a mustache, then what? Mm -hmm. Self-worth. (laughs) Self-worth. Well put. Well, did you have a favorite thing from uh, the Willoughby's? I think my actual favorite thing, which we kind of got into, was the subversion of the uh, 
redemption of the parents. They build through music and cinematography and drawing out how long it takes to rescue the parents and being desperate to make sure they're still alive. And then in a bathos two seconds, like they're dead. <laughs> when you think that they're redeemed and going to help their kids and they've actually changed, they just knock the kids out of the way and then they crash the dirigible and blow up. Or get eaten by a shark. Combination yeah, of blow, things. Yeah, they blow up and then later on the, it reveals that they're in the ocean kissing and then a shark comes up and chomps them down. There's just so many times when you think that they're they're dead and gone, but it keeps killing them because <laughs> they can't change. Uh, so that's my, my personal favorite thing, just that subversion there at the end of what you'd expect of a kid's movie. How about you? I just enjoyed how out of control Ruth was in the candy f- kid in a candy factory. You know, like that old saying, like a kid in a candy factory. Just a chomp, 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 chomp. Just turned into Pac-Man. Um, it just, oh, that, that sequence from above, moving, chomping. But also just the, the real feeling of this child is out of control. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to make sure they don't get hurt by turning off all these levers. And it's like, oh, please just don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. I should have childproofed this room. <laughs> and there's no way to, so I turned everything off, and you turned everything on, and now this child's going to die. <laughs> I think that was my favorite thing. It's just that little sequence right there. It's a very well done action sequence. It's like parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> parenthood, the fear visualization. <laughs> I love it. So if you still haven't seen The Willoughby's after listening to us spoil the whole thing, Go see it. Well, you don't have to go anywhere. Just see it. Oh, I, that's true. <clears throat> well, depending on this airs and what state you live in. <laughs> if you're in California, but like me, probably go to your living room and see it. If you're elsewhere, you might have a chance to like go places to go outside. But when you're done and sick of being outside, sit in your living room and watch this. <laughs> well, shall we discuss homework time? Let's. For next time. I know we started this episode on a tangent about Trolls World Tour. And speaking of kids' movies you can rent at home instead of the theater, your homework is to watch Scoob, the new Scooby-Doo animated feature movie, uh, which will be available for, uh, well, now in the past, has been available for rental at home and also possibly in theaters depending when and where you are and i don't really know how that works but they've kind of hinted at that so see scoob somehow whether (laughs) at home or in the world up to you maybe or your governor um and we'll talk about that next episode as always we want to say thank you to nigel coutino our sound engineer and thank you to jacob reed for our theme music you can find our show notes on the web at Writers get animated.podbean.com. Datcom. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at WG Animated uh, for updates on when we have new episodes posted and things like that. Or, you know, subscribe to us in your favorite pod catcher. <laughs> I hope that that doesn't catch on. <laughs> I did not mean that one. I did not mean that, that pun. Hey. Hey, um, it just comes naturally. <sighs> Like being a Willoughby. Like being a Willoughby. You know, 
it was nice that Tim, I mean, I know he's a kid, but he is only slightly worse than me at growing facial hair. Oof. Just Oof. slightly. It's like a, a backdoor insult to yourself. I know. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>